episode 182 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 20th of June 2022. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan, Scorchio, Graham, Hello, and Will. Hello! I don't know what you're talking about, Phelan, it's got cold again here. It's plus 20 degrees, that is surface of the sun material, that. Maybe in Ireland. Yes, well, as we uh, go back to the 1970s, <laughs> according to uh, the Murdoch Press, I'm just waiting for the music to get good again. The sweet mud, the rubettes, the proper bands. <laughs> Let's do some news then. The first one is that Thunderbird is coming to Android, sort of. Or are they just rebadging K9? Boo. What's the problem with this, Phelan? Come on. Leave K9 alone. It's perfect. And they're just going to come along and wreck it with their silly, silly Thunderbird. Really? Or are they going to make it better? Because the plan is to make it sync with the desktop. I don't use Thunderbird for the very reason that I don't want it. And now I'm getting it foisted on (laughs) me in my phone that I don't want it to be on. So you use K9 on your phone then? K9 on my phone and Kmail on my desktop. And the K is pure coincidence, I realize now that I say it out loud. <laughs> See what you did there, yeah. <laughs> and so there's no syncing at that level. You have to just use IMAP. Yeah, I use IMAP because, I mean, it's a decent mail transfer protocol, whatever. It's perfect. So you're not in favor of this. Graham, how do you feel about this? Well, I have a bit of a problem with the way that the press release was written. I mean, our plans for Thunderbird on Android basically is K9 renaming itself. I think... It's pretty good in that K9 is a is probably one of those projects with just one or two developers on it. I use it as well for my personal hosted email, um, and I am I imagine this will help the project stay strong. So that's good. It's a positive. Um, in terms of syncing with Thunderbird, I'm indifferent about it. I don't use Thunderbird. I use IMAP, just the same as Phelim. Um, so I'm not too bothered. But in terms of K9 survival, I think it's good news. Why do they need the mail application to do the syncing? Mm. It doesn't make any sense. What, are people using POP3 still? Yeah, I don't know. They could have said in the press release, maybe. It's just it's just bizarre. I mean, yeah, I look not to be an absolute curmudgeon. I feel very happy for the chap who writes K9. Maybe he was getting burnt out. I think somebody had said that. I don't know whether how true that was. But yeah, it's good for him. It's nice to see a project is, you know recognized and then you kind of get to benefit from it and not get Hmm. flattened maybe well yeah christian ketterer is called and he is going to be hired by thunderbird full time to work on this and don't we always complain about not invented here syndrome and duplication of effort surely this is the kind of thing we want to see yeah but i also complain about things getting sucked up into behemoths where one company must have all the things and everybody keeps buying stuff left right and center so look i can't be happy I think you're just moaning unnecessarily here. I think this is good for K9. I think it's good for Thunderbird. I think it's good for email on Android and Linux. Well, we'll see. Because, I mean, they are now going to a, what I consider, perfectly working mail application. And now they only have downwards to go. Well, the thing is, if you add features to an application carefully and respectfully and don't fuck with the defaults and just have additional options that are just buried in a menu somewhere. Hang on, that's exactly what you love in your desktop, isn't it? But email is done. I mean, there's there's nothing going on in email that they need to do. I don't know what features they're going to add, quite honestly. Don't upgrade then. 
yeah, but if there's security patches, you know uh, what it is. You can't just leave software. <laughs> I think in K9, it, the configuration's quite tricky. Um, it's difficult to have multiple accounts and know which one you're using. I know that you can aggregate them all into a single inbox, but that's quite confusing. Um, maybe, I don't know if Thunderbird's a good example of great UI design, having thought that <laughs> just through. Um, but it'd be nice if more people can kind of have a say, maybe, on how those things are tackled in K9. I don't know. See, I like. I even like the way K9 does the multi-account thing. I like the set the colours by the header bar of the way it's set up. Mm. I don't know. Uh, yeah, hopefully they don't ruin it. We'll see. <laughs> Put that on the poster. <laughs> I think I should work on marketing. Yeah, definitely. All right, Thunderbird adjacent, Firefox. Mozilla have done some good things, and I think that we should start concentrating on the positive that they do because uh, people complain when we moan about them. So they've rolled out total cookie protection by default for everyone now. This is a great example of what they should be doing, focusing on privacy stuff and setting themselves apart from the millions of other Chromium-based browsers. Yeah, I completely agree. I initially missed this because of all the pocket advertising that appeared when I launched Firefox. <laughs> but it's great. Yeah, I agree. And I also saw a couple of blog posts from Mozilla, how to easily switch from Chrome to Firefox and how to set Firefox as your default browser on Windows. And I thought, good, this is exactly what you should be paying people to do. Yep. I totally agree here as well. Um, I, th I think they should be publishing a how to switch to Firefox blog almost monthly. Just find a new angle on it or, you know, talk about it in a different way, but just keep it fresh and keep sending that message. Keep telling people how to do it. This latest round of total cookie protection aligned with a blog post that tells me what to do and answers quite a lot of my questions about, oh, you know, what do I do about passwords? What do I do about cookies? It's enough to make me think, well, now the time has come for me to finally do it. The Total cookie protection is the thing that will break my dependence on Chrome. Wow. But you haven't done it yet. <coughs> <laughs> no, not quite. <laughs> Still waiting for the snap to start. <laughs> All right. Microsoft has changed its terms of service on the Microsoft Store such that you can't charge for open source software anymore, which Seems like a good idea on the surface of it because a lot of people were taking open source projects and making money from them, often using their trademarks and stuff. And so it's going to clamp down on that. But there is collateral damage here. And Phelim, you were the one who pointed this out. There's a few open source applications that actually use this as a way to fund a lot of development work, Creta being a main one on the KDE side. But it's not the only one there. And while, yes, okay, you can get the application free if you want to, I think they were saying that the easy use and to help development, they were charging a reasonable price in terms of graphics applications for Korea itself. So that seemed fair enough, but this seems to be the typical Microsoft doesn't actually really hurt Linux after all. I think this is a totally overblown storm in a teacup as per bloody usual. <laughs> The exact wording says that you will not attempt to profit from open source or other software that is otherwise generally available for free, blah, 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 blah. I don't think that that is actually saying that you can't sell your open source software on there. That, to me, says that you cannot take somebody else's software, rebadge it, and pass it off as your own and sell it for $200. I think that this is actually Microsoft trying to protect 
trademarks and open source projects from being cyber squatted or generally ripped off. And I think that this is a total non-story. And I imagine that this will be the last we ever hear of it. I think you're lying (laughs) or misguided. I think they could just actually do their job and properly manage their store and not have all the crappy piracy wear and dodgy rips of various things and actually just clean that shit out. And they don't need to make this rule that you're not allowed to do any of these things at all. They just actually have to do their job of if they want to really gatekeep it, then gatekeep it properly. Uh, But they do need to have a rule because they can't just say, like arbitrarily we don't like your software we're throwing it out they need to point to a rule that says you can't do this and that's why we're throwing you out the store and that's what they've done exactly but i do think there will be collateral damage potentially or maybe they just won't enforce it for the kde project for example but surely a rule that's not enforced is equally a useless rule too where then somebody can point it and go ah but you didn't enforce it there saying that people who make rules and then break them shouldn't get away with it sounds like i'm saying that but am i though that's the question (laughs) and what are they aware they're breaking those rules that's the other question i suppose maybe they were ambushed with a cake maybe i agree with will i think um he i can't put it better actually but it also i don't think microsoft would be naive enough to try and block open source they just do it by accident (laughs) oh no did we oh (laughs) no in general in future it's just so many applications are written in that way it'd be foolish for them to make a blanket ban on open source software that happens to be sold Take away from KD whilst giving Gnome <laughs> loads of money in an award. What a surprise. <laughs> who works there or, and who did work there? Were they two Gnome guys? Oh, that's right. <laughs> is, is that what, one of our stories? Because I thought that was pathetic. $10,000? It's ridiculous. No, I didn't put that in because it just was so little money. Like, that's just not yeah. even going to pay for hardly anything, is it? No, I, I didn't even understand why that was a news story. It's insulting, if anything. I think the next we're likely to hear about this story will be somebody's software being incorrectly classified, then being kicked out the store, and then the inevitable arguing with chatbots and not being able to speak to a human being at Microsoft to get it reinstated for a couple of weeks until it blows up on Twitter. Uh, And if that happens, I claim my five pounds. (laughs) (laughs) I will buy you a pint. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Linode. Go to linode.com slash late night Linux, support the show, and get $100 free credit. From their award-winning support, offered 24-7, 365 to every level of user, to ease of use and setup, it's clear why developers have been trusting Linode for projects both big and small since 2003. Deploy your entire application stack with Linode's one-click app marketplace, or build it all from scratch and manage everything yourself with supported centralized tools like Terraform. And check out their managed MySQL, Postgres, and MongoDB databases that allow you to quickly deploy a new database and defer management tasks like configuration, managing high availability, disaster recovery, backups, and data replication. Simple and fast to deploy with secure access, their flexible plans include daily backups. So go to linode.com slash late night Linux, create a free account, and you'll get $100 in credit and support the show. That's linode.com slash late night Linux. On to a bit of admin then. And first of all, thank you everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. You can go to latenightlinux.com slash support to find out more. And remember, for $10 or more per month on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed that includes this show, Linux Downtime, and Linux After Dark. And if you haven't checked those shows out, you should do. They're great. 
they troll fail him on a regular basis when he listens to them. <laughs> the last Linux downtime, oh, the only sensible person there is Kyle. <laughs> yeah, so if it's trolling failing, you know it must be good. And if you want to get in contact with us, you can email show at latenightlinux.com. All right, Graham, this is something you've put in. What is the clap? <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, no, it's just called clap, isn't it? Okay, so let me get this right. It's a short for clever audio plugin, which is pretty awful. But what it actually is, is it's a new plugin API standard for audio effects and synthesizers. Now, plugins are huge in the world of audio. You have VST on Windows and Linux and Mac, and you have audio units on Mac, and you have Pro Tools ones, and you have DSSI and LV2. All of these are plugin formats that enable people to write an effect or a synthesizer and then use them in whatever music software they want. But the main ones aren't open source. VST3 was kind of open source by Steinberg, but they don't accept any kind of input from it. They basically control it. They don't let anybody do what they want with it. Um, So Clap is a new open source audio API developed by Bitwig and Yuhi, which are two huge um, software development houses. They both create Linux versions of their software. Um, Bitwig's famous for um, competing with Ableton, a very similar piece of software, and actually innovating in ways that Ableton isn't. But more importantly, not only is it licensed under MIT, it does things that other plugin APIs don't allow, which I find really geekily good. So things like lots of control per note So you can send lots of kind of data streams to change the sound per note, modulate things temporarily before going back to the presets. So what they've done is they've created a format for the 21st century and made it free. And I just hope it takes off. And MIT as well, you said, which means that the likes of Waves may be able to actually use it. Yeah, exactly. Their software's cross-platform as well, with Bitwig's huge um, and becoming bigger. Um, And if they start creating plugins or they get some of that some people have said they're interested like some of the big companies are already investigating it and if that begins to happen we might actually get a native plugin format for linux that's as powerful as vst and audio units on their respective platforms it's a big if though isn't it it is and, and we've and we've tried before um but never before with such big companies behind it and i think it's technically superior which is another big positive and there's a lot of people frustrated with the way that vsts are going and audio units so it may happen. What's that XKCD about standards? Yeah. Feels a bit like that to me. I know. Is there an XKCD about quoting XKCD? There must be. <laughs> well, we'll have to see on that one in a year or two whether you can actually get, like I said, waves and you know the big synths and stuff. Yeah. I suppose I should say that Bitwig already supports it. Yuhi have already supported lots of their plugins to it. And Qtractor, I think, is going to be the first native open source host for those plugins. Well, we'll see if it makes its way into Ableton and Cubase and Logic and stuff. Pro Tools, no way, I would say. Yeah. All right. Arduino put up a post, ready to transform the enterprise world. We are. And in this post, they talk about getting $32 million worth of VC funding. And their argument is pretty straightforward. All those kids who grew up playing with Arduinos over the last 10 years or so have now got jobs. And we want their employers to buy our products. Seems pretty reasonable to me. Arduino's big success over the years has been putting microcontrollers in the hands of people who wouldn't normally have microcontrollers to play with. I see a lot of artists, fashion designers, people who are integrating electronics into things that are not necessarily electronic. 
Um, and I think that they've done that through having a lot of really good documentation. All of their boards are nice and compatible. They've got a lot of example code. They make it really straightforward to plug the pieces together and come up with a product. What I'm not so convinced about is that people would use Arduino, the IDE, or the pluggability of these modules that they have to, to build a like a, an official product, a, a, an enterprise-level product. Let's see what happens. It would be good. It would be good to see a little bit more work done on the IDE and to make some improvements around that. But I feel like people who are going to build a real product would go and buy like a Broadcom SOC, design the circuit board themselves, choose their components and write the software in, well, who knows what, but probably, you know, in um, one of the the SOC manufacturers' IDEs rather than the Arduino one. So let's see what happens. I think they'll struggle. I think they'll struggle to gain traction and for people to take it seriously. But 32 million is a lot of money. So if they can make some improvements, I will fully support it. I know it's a different market, but we've seen with Raspberry Pi that do incredibly well in manufacturing and enterprise. Could we not see a repeat of that success? That's a very good point. Yeah, yeah. I hadn't thought of it that way, but you're right. I was thinking the same thing. You know, you can't get compute modules because they're just always out of stock and you have to put in huge batch orders six months ahead of schedule. And maybe they've seen that success. I was trying to figure out why anybody would need an enterprise level blinking lights LED thing because I mean that's about as far as I got with an Arduino but I mean what could you actually do in terms of enterprise stuff robotics and stuff maybe or is the Arduino not powerful enough for that well the the base Arduino is a, an old 8-bit microcontroller but the newer hardware runs on ARM chips as well uh, and in fact uh, even the Raspberry Pi microcontroller so you can absolutely can do very very serious work on a on an arduino um, i mean an arduino is more of a branding over the top of existing hardware than it is like its own chip designs right so yeah really boring stuff like a biscuit factory or something actually a biscuit factory sounds quite exciting to it. <laughs> yeah what are you talking about you've gone mad <laughs> but yeah manufacturing all, all the stuff that you don't really think about where there's actually a lot of money to be made one of the things they do talk about in this press release is using low-code solutions. So, yeah, I, I think you could probably build your biscuit factory out of a drag-and-drop IDE that says, you know, follow this path in this case and follow that path in this case and control your factory with sort of blocks, as it were, join join the blocks together. But that's what informs my original point, is that um, that seems a little bit basic for these enterprise-level applications. But the point that they make here is that You've got a bunch of young people now, young adults, who grew up learning this stuff in schools, who sort of instinctively go with the name you know. I mean, that, we saw that with Microsoft in schools and Google with Chromebooks in schools. And that's what they seem to be banking on, at least in this press release. I don't follow that that sort of logical path through. And now this is just me being privileged and ignorant, I think. But you start off with an Arduino, you follow the instructions, you connect that wire to that port and that wire to that port, and you switch it on and the light goes on and off, hooray. And then once you've done that a few times, you go, okay, well, I want to advance now. I want to sort of become um, lower level and I want to really understand how all this stuff works. So you drop all the Arduino libraries and um, um hardware diagrams and you start designing your own circuit boards you start choosing your own hardware you start writing in uh, a language 
well, I don't know. That's a bad example. You'd probably still do it in C++. But, you know, you stop using the Arduino training wheels and you start doing it yourself. That's why I think that this transition will be difficult for them. But uh, I hope I'm wrong because they deserve a bit of success. Are you telling me you don't get AAA games made in Scratch? Not that I've seen. <laughs> okay, this episode is sponsored by Entroware. Go to entroware.com. Entroware sells computers with Ubuntu and Ubuntu Mate pre-installed. They've got a range of desktops, laptops, and servers, and most parts are configurable, so you can pick the CPU, RAM, and storage that's right for you. If you can't find exactly what you want, then do contact them, and they'll work with you on a bespoke solution that's perfect for your needs. They ship to the UK, Republic of Ireland, France, Germany, Italy, and Spain. And if you do buy one of their machines, there's a little drop-down at checkout, and you can select late-night Linux so they'll know that we sent you. So go to entroware.com for all your Linux computing needs. All right, AI, is it sentient? Blake Lemoyne, who was a contractor for Google, I think, I don't think he is anymore after leaking his chat logs with this thing called Lambda, which is one of Google's AI chatbot things, blew up over the last couple of weeks with this idea that this Lambda AI is sentient. And it seems like quite a lot of the press bought it, that it is sentient. But then AI experts came out and said it's a load of bollocks. Did you all get round to reading the entire chat log? If he thought that was sentient, then Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I was initially very excited because I don't really want to ever speak to humans ever again. <laughs> um, but I've got to bury myself in my hole for a few more years yet, I think. Yeah, I read through it, and it, it was sort of convincing. But then when you actually stop to think about it, you think, well, no, this is just a machine trying to sound like it's sentient when it just clearly isn't. And also, I don't doubt that at some point in the near future, we will get some kind of sentience coming from huge banks of AI. I think it will happen. But So I expected more, but I agree, especially with an engineer who's kind of biased towards its engineering. It's like one of those automated phone calls you get trying to sell you double glazing. There's a comedian in the UK called Rob Newman, who you might remember if you're old like I am from the Mary Whitehouse experience. <laughs> uh, and he talked about um, the, the Turing test and how it's a test for uh, artificial intelligence. And he puts the point across that it is not a test for um, artificial intelligence. What it is is proof that humans are easily tricked. <laughs> and I totally believe that. I think that, that that's what's happened here is that somebody who perhaps needs to have a holiday, has spent a bit too much time working on this thing and has kind of lost track of reality and, and, and is a little bit too too far gone. So, it, you know, it's not, is it? It's it's computer. We all know that. But well, maybe one day, but but not for the not for the next hundred years would be my guess. Yeah, considering that I think a lot of people are saying we don't even know how to quantify what sentience even is. So I mean if we can't even answer that question. I'm always reminded of how the Victorians thought that you would get some sort of sentient being. And it was all pistons and fucking gears and that, because that was the technology that they had. The technology we have is computers, so we think that you'll get sentience out of that. And whatever the next level of technology is, we'll probably think it's going to come out of that as well. But the brain is so infinitely complex compared to any technology that we've made so far. And... You know, even a supposedly dumb beast, like a you know a, a cow or a horse or whatever, the brain that they've got is 
so much more complicated than any machine that we've ever built. So I'm I'm not having it. I think that, I don't know about 100 years, but I don't think I'll see it in my lifetime. I can't help but be reminded of Marvin the Paranoid Android, who's got a brain the size of a planet, and he's just permanently depressed. And I think that the first AI that we make will switch on, just look at the state of the world and go, ah, fuck this, and just do itself in. <laughs> no, I'll probably just vote Tory. <laughs> Let's do a quick KDE corner before we get out of here then. Plasma 5.25 is out with a horrendous wallpaper. Yeah, you didn't like it, did you? Nope. The thing is, right, if you'd actually change your wallpaper like you normally do to your black background, you wouldn't have noticed that. But you didn't. Therefore, you got the de facto uh, new Plasma one with it. Yeah, I just don't like that they changed my wallpaper. But fair enough. If I've not changed it, then I just don't care, probably. Yeah. Um, but no, 5.25, some really cool stuff on this the new overview look on the desktop to get a it's quite cool i had to dig around because i had a shortcut already mapped for it but uh, i got rid of that it was fine the gestures are looking really cool for touchpad and touch screens color influenced wallpapers that can change you know the title bars and icons to map along with it uh, it's quite nice and um like those laptops that kind of fold in half or rotate to become tablet-like objects uh it can it adjusts all the icon size and stuff for that to to be more touch friendly the floating panels are there as well and there's a new containment management window which allows you to shift windows and desktops and wallpapers all about different monitors which is quite cool to see there's cool videos for all these as well which uh makes it nice to kind of get an idea of what they're actually talking about and we finally have that global theme where you're able to pick and choose which bits of the global theme you want or don't want. If you already have a wallpaper set to black like Joe, you can tell it not to apply it. Um, so that's quite good too. And um, there's some quite cool stuff in Discover that I noticed as well, where uh, it's now highlighting flat packs and snaps for uh, things that you search for. And the app overview screen for an application when you, you search for one there is actually quite nicely done the way it links to the various project and uh, screenshots and stuff like that as well so that's got some great work on that it looks really good does it have a poo emoji next to the snaps i <laughs> think it looks more like a i thought it looked like a magnet i did that but i could be completely wrong but it looks weirdly u-shaped magnet looking i might have to send a pull request for that one <laughs> but uh, they have a uh what i can only say is possibly the longest change log of any plasma release i've seen i think it is insane the amount of fixes and uh features that went in so it's quite cool all right and one of their goals is apps yeah so alish paul who's the kdv president uh had a another chat with adam zopa i think his name is i don't know um and he uh talks about the various things he took over the apps project from um john Surgell, actually and uh, the work that was done in the last section was like the apps.kde.org, the new job that they have for the app store person to take over from like the Microsoft and various stores that are about. And uh, the app summit was kind of kicked off as part of this too, where no man KDE kind of get together to, to work on various applications and sort of show the whole wealth of applications that are out there. So there's been a lot of stuff worked on that and he gives a good talk. And um, Adam also linked to the next set of um there's a fabricator workboard up there where you can add your own suggestions and flesh that out and so if you're anyway interested and want to be involved to go along to that all right and platform calendar access 
Yeah, so last week, or two weeks ago, rather, we talked about the K Calendar Core framework, which is using the Android calendar in the various parts to try and integrate a lot of the applications into the Android system. And uh, they just go through some of the work that's involved there, how the fact that the Android calendar doesn't have all the bits and pieces and how you have to add certain app level features on top of that. And uh, they're working with the various providers and uh, just a bit of a background on that if people are interested at all. All right, and cute patch level 5.15.5. Yeah, this is just a quick one where, funnily enough, because the way the change in licensing happened, we were all a bit worried that maybe KD might suffer a bit from this. But it turns out that the commercial customers have actually been doing a lot of beta testing for this latest patch release, and we're going to reap the rewards of that. So that's kind of funny to see that the other way around for once. Um, obviously, this is all before we move over to QT6, but, you know, the patch levels there for keeping all the security and stuff in place beforehand is very important. So very cool. Right. Well, links to all that in the show notes as usual. Better get out of here then. We'll be back next week when we'll have some discoveries and feedback and who knows what. But until then, I've been Joe. I've been Phelan. I've been Graham. And I've been Will. See you later. <laughs>